0: To Fancy Town Crimes Podcast, a podcast about crimes in fancy towns told by middle class broads. Hi, all. This week we're featuring again Breonna Taylor because the cops involved have not been held accountable yet. There will be a change.org petition in the show notes that you can sign to. Bring justice for Breonna Taylor. And as we mentioned, all of the proceeds from the podcast will be going to Unchained Boston. Uh, the link to that is also in the show notes.
1: Well, hello there, everybody. Hey, guys. This is Taylor. I'm, oh, my God, this is Megan. <laughs>
0: This is Megan. <laughs> this is Taylor. Why did I say that? That was <laughs> because so you're strange. me now. You're just you're me now. I can't. I can't. Even think. <laughs> what, dude? I don't know what it's day fr- it is. It's Friday. It's the summer. Their days don't mean anything anymore. So you could be me. There you go. You can be Taylor. I I I give you. My tailorness today because I don't want to be tailored (laughs) today. Oh my god,
1: dude, I'm I don't know why I said that. That, like,
0: (laughs) and you know, it's weird. I almost like my brain heard you say that before you said it. It was weird. Maybe you, maybe you
1: shot the um brain waves at me. Maybe, maybe that's what that was. It's very possible. Well, let's cross our fingers Bodhi behaves as he sits next to me right now. Be a good cool boy, little Bodhi face. Poor because he could either be evil or uh, or good. And right now he's sleeping, so this is good Bodhi.
0: <laughs> well, we'll power through so that he is good Bodhi the whole time. Let's hope so. Oh my
1: god, so we were supposed to go to the beach yesterday, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And it rained! And-
1: well, it was but it, weird. It was a weird day. But it didn't. It was like... It looked like it was going to rain. 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 We are like, oh, let's hold off. Let's hold off. And then it got to be like 5 o'clock, and I was like, it hasn't rained
0: yet. Like That's the worst. Yeah, cause it, so and it now, only rained for like 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> even know. But now we're going today. Nice. And I'm excited, because I Which, get to see... The new Mrs. Leslie. Oh, so fun. Yeah, because just got married two weeks ago. So. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Very what exciting. Be- what beach are you guys going to? I think Nahant. Oh, nice. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah.
1: So Hopefully, Nahant. it's not
0: too crazy. I don't think so because it's during the day, but. Yeah, and it's a Friday, so it should be fine. Michelle's
1: on her way. So oh, fine. I'm like I know oh, good. I'm I i kind wanna text her and be like, hey, you should pick up some white cloths for the beach." I think I'm
0: gonna text her that right now. <laughs> uh, How has
1: life been with you?
0: It's been it's been good. It's been a little crazy. Um I think reality is starting to hit me when it comes to the baby and stuff. So mm-hmm. um that's been not like so much that I'm like worried about the baby being here and like having it in the house, um, and you know like being a mother. I'm I'm more concerned with like all of these the best laid plans, right? So like I had all these Damn plans, girl planning. <laughs> <laughs> I had all these plans and all these things I was going to do pre pandemic, like. Someone was gonna come grab the baby blanket and bring it home to Piper, and you know she so she could get used to the smell of the baby, and like you know la di da and all just you know frivolous things that now we can't do anymore, and mm-hmm. and so now I'm like trying to figure out how is my dog gonna get taken care of. Um, because that means someone needs to enter my house and someone might need to stay in my house. And what does that mean? And now we have tenants, so we can no longer enter our house through our front door. So does that mean when I come home after giving birth, I'm gonna have to go in through the basement? Um, or am I gonna have to go around the side of the house? How am I going to do all of this? When are the grandparents going to meet the baby? There's just all of these things now that I'm like, I would so love to go back to. I don't know, January. Pop the kid out in January and then have have dealt with, you know, none of this, but as is life.
1: <laughs> oh, Lord, I know. Yeah, and you are a planner by nature, so this must yeah. be killing you.
0: It is. It's really hard to not be able to plan anything in advance. Like, it would have been hard enough to, like, not know when the baby was coming. You know, I can't plan that unless you're induced or you have a scheduled T-section or whatever. But, like, to be like, is today going to be the day? Like, that's going to be a challenge. So, <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> Our tenants move in today. I'm super anxious about that. And I don't know why. I was saying to Jeff, we have six sets of tenants. And is today the 31st? Uh, today is the 31st. Oh, wow. Okay, I sorry. Know. Anyway, continue. July, <laughs> just like, I think it July has been the fastest month. Blue, yeah. Yeah, it, it really blew. did. Um, but yeah, I have no reason to be anxious. It's just because we're out of practice because we haven't had a tenant up there because of a pandemic. So yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just an anxious cookie today, and I, uh, I, need, I need some sleep. I think that's probably a, a another part of it. Kept, and as my mom would say, you need ugh. to stop doing
1: everything. <laughs> you need to block her from your Instagram stories because I did, I I did block. At.
0: I did block her from my Instagram <laughs> stories uh, yesterday or the day before. She would have been really mad at me. Yesterday, I was outside trimming bushes with, like, the hand, like, clipper. Her. I know, but I was just, like, my brain and my body don't work together. My brain is, like, you can totally do this. And also, like, You have a million things on your list, Taylor. You need to get them done. And then your body's... My body's like, I'm really tired. And I have a really heavy thing on the front of my body.
1: I'm going to buy you some (laughs) fucking Sudoku puzzles. Like, honest (laughs) to God. Uh, My mom's going to start. My mom's going to like... Like, Jeff thinks that my mom is like, ha ha, she's so funny. Just wait until she gets (laughs)
0: Jeff's phone number. And she's like,
1: (laughs) where is she?
0: (laughs) I know. It's so true. Yeah. I'm definitely... I'm done. I'm slowing down a lot. I, I'm almost 33 weeks now, so, like, it's, we're closing in. Yeah, you got seven weeks, girl. Seven weeks to go. It's crazy, 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 crazy.
1: Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take a breather. I'm gonna buy you some Sudoku's
0: or something. (laughs) I think I need, like, a sedative is what I need. Oh, my
1: God. I can get you some of those anti-anxiety things that my mom gives to Parker with four drops on a cookie. Perfect.
0: Perfect. I was actually thinking about how you were recommending that for Piper and how Brandon was joking that it was doggy weed. And I was like, I know. Piper is, so you know how some humans have a paranoid reaction to weed? Yeah. That would totally be Piper. She would have a paranoid reaction to the doggy weed and she would just be like, <laughs> like <laughs> frantic about everything because she is the most socially anxious dog I have ever met.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it on him when, um, so for the record, it's not actually doggy weed. It's just like a bunch of flowers. No. People don't think I'm dogs. just like drugging my dog. No, don't so give that it's, to your dog. <laughs> it's a bunch of, like, which is kind of nice because it's a bunch of flowers. It doesn't, like, snow the dog, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it just kind of gives it's them, like, like a cabinet. breath of fresh air. Exactly. Except the opposite effect. <laughs> right. So because he's getting his heartworm treatment in, like, two weeks, I'm, like, mm. he he likes to run. He likes Yeah. To, he does this thing. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. So after he poops – he like runs around like a psycho. Like he's <gasps> so po-
0: excited. It's
1: poop I'm it's like, zoomies. what are you doing? And he's on poop a leash with me. A So we do this <laughs> thing now where because he has a stupid leash, he has to zoom in a circle, and so I'm just I just look like ridiculous to my neighbors. I'm just standing there, spinning in a circle as the dog is like running as hard <laughs> as he can around me, and I'm just like, oh my god! Like poop dude. zoomies
0: are in. Intense. They're like I, uncontrollable.
1: I, I read that it's like they're just so proud of themselves that they didn't go in the
0: <laughs> Usually I get, a, I get a warning from Jeff. All of a sudden I hear like a bunch of like commotion at the back door and Jeff will be like she pooped and then all of a sudden here comes Piper like like skidding through the house and like I have to stand up get off the couch because she just like keeps like freaking out and like body slamming the couch and like getting (laughs) off and then like body slamming jeff and so yeah it's intense those poop zoomies well yeah
1: i mean (laughs) dogs are weird dogs are
0: weird they are weird weird.
1: well maybe your child would get poop zoomies too after you uh teach them how to potty
0: (laughs) i mean as long as they like got tired after it then that would be fine (laughs) Piper and the baby oh could get God. poop zoomies together. They could zoom and then everybody falls asleep. That would be great. Huh? That'd be great.
1: All right, friendo, where are we going today?
0: Today we are going to Glencoe, Illinois. Ow, ow. You know So, So was this a recommendation or did you have this, like where did this come from?
1: I googled wealthiest places in the U.S., and we hadn't been to Illinois yet, so bada bing, bada boom. I like
0: it. I like it, yeah. Well, it is definitely wealthy. Wait till you hear about this one. So, Glencoe is a village in northeastern Cook County, Illinois. I feel like Cook County is, like, a place where I've heard, like, other podcasts go to. Like, it just sounds very familiar to me.
1: I think you've heard of this case before because
0: when I first researched
1: it I was like oh this is interesting but then I'm pretty sure I think Karen did this on my favorite murder like not too long ago because <sighs> I started I'm gonna see if you can catch where y- you like realize it because it's uh interesting. there was like one line that I was like oh I
0: remember her talking about this so yeah interesting. so go oh I'm so fascinated okay so Glencoe is a is located on Chicago's north shore. It's an affluent town rate ranked number 1 amongst richest towns in Illinois and 8th among the richest towns in the US. So mm-hmm. is v fancy. So mm-hmm. Glencoe is located on the west side of Lake Michigan. It is separated from suburbs um, to the north and the west by more than 1200 acres um, and it's separated by Cook County Forest Preserve uh Preserved natural forest area. So the village is surrounded on three sides by upper-income communities, with Highland Park on the north, Northbrook on the west, and uh, Winnetka to the south. Um, so, as of the 2010 census, there were 8,700 people, 3,000 households, and 4,500 families residing in the village. So, the racial makeup of the village, as e- no one will be surprised, it is 94% white, 1.2% African American, 2.7% Asian, 0.1% um um American Indian or Native American, uh and Alaskan Native. Um 0.5% some other race. Hmm. O- other races. <laughs> so, I, I know what you're saying. I was like why did they why did they word it like that? Some and, other race. And some other races. No, other, and other races and then um and then 1.5% of uh, individuals of two or more races. Um, so very white, obviously. Um, mm. The median income for – so this, like, I know that it says it's this wealthy, but wait until you hear this. So the median income for a household in the village was 193000 and the median income for a family was 235000 yeah um so male full-time workers had a median income of 202,000 you want to have a guess of what the women's was less than 100 65 holy shit yeah so that's what brings down that median so much um it's crazy so um the per capita income for the village as of 2011 so 2011 so 9 years ago was 106,000 mm-hmm. placing glencoe among the 20th wealthy communities in the US and i need you to guess the median home value in glencoe because i saw this and i like had to go look at it like in three different places because i was like are you serious is it a million like 1.2 million it's 1,054,948 I knew it was something ridiculous because when I was looking it up, I was like, whoa, this is a, this is the fanciest of fancy towns. I think this that might be the most expensive housing pr- price, I think, that we've covered because that's like, it's insane. Why is the median house that much?
1: I never What's knew. What's so great that about Glencoe? <laughs> I never knew the suburbs of Chicago, Chicago. I can't speak today. Chicago were so like I would have never guessed Illinois in a million years that's what I mean that million it just literally must be a pocket of wealth
0: oh yeah I think so like I literally like because I mean the way that this this village quote-unquote is described it's like it's so separated from everything else I mean it's it's separated on the north and the west by 2,100 acres. Like, that's crazy. Like, talk about, like, a crazy separation. hmm
1: hmm Yeah. Well, as we know in this podcast, uh, wealth does not make you immune from crime. Dun, 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 dun. And this one is actually, it's sad for a number of reasons. I mean, okay. somebody does die, which is always sad. But it's also – it's sad to watch this woman kind of spiral, too. So let, we'll just – we'll get um, right into it. Okay. All right. So – Let's dive on in. This is the story of Lori Dan. I got my – I know. It's – you're going to – throughout, you're going to be like, oh, oh, oh. I, I bet yeah, it's Yeah, that name yeah. sounds so familiar. Yep. So um, I got my information from an art, – two articles in the Chicago Tribune, one written by – ready for this name – George Papa John. George Papa John! George Papa John! (laughs) So, it was written by George Papa John and Joel Kaplan with, like, a a bunch of influences from other people. And then another one by Eric Zorn. Um, And then, of course, Murderpedia and Wikipedia. Because, you know. Of course. Of course. Okay. So, Lori Wasserman was born on October 18th, 1957 to Norma Wasserman and Edith Joy. Growing up in Glencoe, her family was well off. I mean,
0: clearly you, of ha- like, you have to be. <laughs> you literally can't live there if you are not.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, her family was well off as her father was an accountant and her mom was probably like a homemaker, but I just know she didn't work. Um, like most of us, she was described as an awkward teenager. Um, she's also described as being shy and withdrawn. It said that really she didn't have a notable childhood or like uneventful, I guess, but I'll kind Mm -hmm. of leave that for you to speculate on. Okay. So, like I said, like us, awkward teenager. Unlike us, in her teens, her parents paid for plastic surgery for her. And her new appearance- Yep. Her new appearance attracted the attention of many suitors. It
0: also I you so, weren't supposed to get plastic surgery when you were a teenager because your like everything's still like this is
1: you have changing. to remember this is the 70s.
0: I guess that's true.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, and also the article, this article was interesting it was written in the 80s. So like there was some stuff that I was like, eh. you know, a lot of times I just take stuff word for word, but I'm like, I kind of want to reword that cuz it's not super sensitive like yeah, totally. So one of the things that they said was her plastic surgery, she emerged beautiful in her new epi- – and I'm just kind of like, yeah. I'm what? sure
0: she was beautiful before.
1: Exactly. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, and then this uggo. Blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was ugly I mean? duckling, and now she's a swan or whatever. Yeah, because I just, I just feel like it's not the greatest message, but no. at any rate. Um,
0: Love you for you. Exactly. But if you want to so, do something, you do you too.
1: Right. No, there's no shame in it, but you shouldn't feel like you have to. And that's the scary thing with getting plastic surgery as a teenager. 100%. That is all, you can really carry that with you. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I digress. Um, Aside from like plastic surgery to like if you had like, you know, some like major, you know, deformity and you needed it to. Totally. Live a more normal life. Hundred anyway, percent. Okay. So she graduated from New Trier East High School and moved on to Drake University, then transferring to the University of Arizona. She had gone to the university to become a teacher. However, she didn't graduate from the University of Arizona. Okay. So one article was kind of like, she wasn't super interested in school. She was just kind of going to fight a rich man. Mm-hmm which remember the okay. sacred heart we yes. knew that girl who was like oh i just like to find a man and i'm like why are you
0: wasting your money here girl estates it's really expensive way to find a <laughs> find a man <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's all those there's all those like apps now where you can like date like specifically wealthy people or like prestigious people but i think you also have to be like kind of prestigious unless you're like I don't know. I don't really know what the qualifications beyond those apps are, but, like, I think that is... I am the
1: princess of CrossFit Mountain, so... I
0: mean, so... Qualification number one. This, that thing is never gonna die. (laughs) It's never gonna die. It lives on forever.
1: Self-proclaimed. Okay. So, while at the University of Arizona, she began dating a pre-med student, which is so fucking bullshit to say, because there is no pre-med degree. It's, like, biology or some... Anyway. Okay. Wow, I'm, like, really on a tangent today. (laughs) So, she threw herself into the relationship and began neglecting her schoolwork. Lori became possessive and demanding and developed an obsession with her boyfriend. Hmm. She was devastated when he ended the relationship and would continue to obsess over him for years. And one article said he was a fiancé, but the fiancé was in quotes. So, I don't know if, like, she just made him that way in her mind.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So
1: in 1977, she took a summer course in home ec at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Again, she took a few courses that she didn't finish. Um, in 1980, she moved back to her parents' house and attended Northwestern University, but she again dropped out of school. So this girl, I mean, clearly they have a ton of money because she keeps going to all these big name schools. and. Yeah. It's just, like, willy-nilly. Um, so she met her future husband, Russell Dan, when working at a summer job as a cocktail waitress at the Green Acres Country Club.
0: Yes, I, there were there was lots of information about all the different golf courses in Glencoe, as I, oh, I'm sure, sure everyone can imagine.
1: So Dan grew up in a wealthy family, hence meeting him at a country club. She, um, see? She
0: didn't even need to go to college to meet him. She could have just started working at country clubs. Well, it kind of surprised me that she even worked. Well, that's a good point. She should have just been hanging around the Country Club.
1: But again, probably a good thing that she worked. Like, I wonder if her parents were like, dude, you have to do something. Yeah. Um, Get that experience, girl. Yeah. So he was, he grew up in a wealthy family. He was also an executive at an insurance broker firm. And they met in 1980 and they were married in 1982, September 1982. So they moved into a two hundred and thirty thousand dollars home in Highland Park, which this was eighty two, so it's it's gonna be like worth a lot of money now,
0: oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Lori's mental state began to deteriorate not long after the two were married. So Russell noticed that she didn't have any interest in cleaning the house or decorating, which a piece of oh, like... shame. Man, I really haven't decorated the house at all. (laughs) My mom keeps yelling at me, I've been here a
0: year. (laughs) I mean, girl, we've been here for two years. Have you seen our unit?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm kinda like, meh, it's not totally fair. But then here's the issue. When she did help doing laundry, she would fold wet clothing and put it into drawers, leaving it to mold. Oh, this sounds so familiar. She kept her makeup in the microwave and would leave cash in the backseat of her car, kind of like thrown about like garbage.
0: So there's some sort of something going on here, some sort of- There is. Something. Yes. I don't know exactly what that would identify, but yeah, that sounds like a something.
1: There is. So Lori mostly spent her days watching TV. At some point, she began seeing a psychiatrist who blamed her mental illness on her childhood. Which is interesting, since remember before, it said she had a fairly unremarkable childhood. Yeah. Anyway, she did not uh, go to therapy consistently, of course, which prompted her psychiatrist to write a letter insisting she continue, stating, quote, I am genuinely concerned about your ability to cope with the problems you have been struggling with. Hmm. Yep. Okay. And as they say in my favorite murder, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. So, throughout her marriage, Russell began to realize that Lori's quirks were becoming worse. She had rituals such as tapping her foot on the ground at a stoplight, compulsive hand washing, and hmm. eventually becoming totally reclusive like, would not leave the house.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: And so this was one of the articles um, that I read was, like, The Many Faces of Lori Dan. And it was, like, so she would compulsively wash her hands, but then she would, like, leave garbage about and not clean.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, like, what was she diagnosed with? Because that's very interesting, like.
1: Yeah, it, it it's obsessive. I mean, this is clearly obsessive. I shouldn't say clearly. This is obsessive compulsive disorder, and I know she does get diagnosed with it at some point. I'm not sure, but obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. She- So here's when shit really hits the fan, or at least starts to hit the fan. Russell filed for divorce in 1985, only three years after their wedding. When the couple separated, Lori moved back in with her parents in Glencoe, where her behavior worsened. She became obsessed with hygiene and even had an aversion to being touched. Lori and Russell were officially divorced in 87. However, it was not an easy divorce. Russell and his family received harassing phone calls, which never amounted to anything. Additionally, Lori claimed that Russell had abused her and accused him of breaking in and vandalizing her parents' house. It was around this time that she bought a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum, claiming she needed it for self-defense. And police were concerned about her possessing a firearm and tried to persuade both her and her parents to get rid of it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. In 1986, Russell was attacked in his bed. He was stabbed with an ice pick while sleeping. His attacker only missed his heart by an inch. Lori had bought an ice pick a few days prior and was identified by a store employee as doing so. However, she was never seen entering or leaving her ex-husband's apartment. So then it became a he said, she said. Um, and, okay, so it became a he said, she said, And there was a medical report that it may have been a self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Russell did not, yeah. Russell didn't help his case when he was abrasive towards police. Um, And he failed a polygraph test, essentially. Um, So due to all these factors, the charges against Lori were dropped. And one article even said she was really good at playing the victim. And at this point when I was writing it, I was like mm, that's not really totally fair to say because how do we know she was like playing the victim but it becomes like more and more obvious that she is manipulative like she is good at playing the victim interesting so just, yeah, keep that in mind
0: I keep like waiting for this story to like it, it like sounds like vaguely familiar but I keep like waiting for it to like really hit me yeah
1: um it'll probably hit you towards the end because that's when it hit me I was like oh man I remember. So around the same time as the attack, Lori's ex-boyfriend, who was now a married doctor in Tucson, began receiving disturbing phone calls and letters. The calls were death threats against the doctor and his family. Additionally, Lori claimed to have given birth to his child. He didn't believe her, which prompted her to call the hospital or somehow contact the hospital he worked at and claim she was raped by him. So the harassment only ended when the doctor's lawyer sent a letter to Lori's parents. Interesting. hmm So just prior to the divorce in April 1987, Lori accused Russell of raping her. There was no physical evidence to support this accusation, although she passed two polygraph tests. Okay. Um... A month later, she accused Russell of placing an incendiary device in her home. There were ultimately no charges filed against Russell. So I am not one to be like when somebody claims that they're raped, they do it out of spite.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? Like when
1: someone's raped, it's like you believe it. Yeah, totally. But with all these factors with her and with what I've learned from her as we keep reading down, it, it, it's highly unlikely that that was true. Yeah, I bet there's you a she, lot
0: of strange.
1: I think there's more mental illness going on in there, which is why yeah. she was able to pass the polygraph test. I
0: really do. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is too, polygraph tests are so. Right. But especially if your emotions don't regulate the same way. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, Um, interesting. Yeah.
1: So at the time, Lori was in therapy for obsessive compulsive disorder and a chemical imbalance. The psychiatrist that was treating her told police that he did not think she was suicidal or homicidal. In January of the same year, so January 87, we're bumping back a little bit, Lori ventured into the wild world of babysitting. It is a wild world. She got... She got a job through flyers that she hung up at grocery stores and public libraries. Lori seemed like a great sitter given her shy demeanor and like nice nature. And the woman who hired her recommended Lori's services to friends. So she had this little like babysitters club. Like she had a couple of people that she babysat for. This would not last long for Lori as parents would come home to find couches slashed, rugs cut up and missing garage door openers. A few parents reported her to police. However, Lori denied everything, and again, nothing came of the complaints. Interesting. So, Lori's father sublet a university apartment at Northwestern for the summer, and her behavior continued to worsen. I just pulled so much hair off the dog. Wow, you are <laughs> shedding like so, like crazy, dude. He's Look, like, it's so hot, Look mom.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh my.
1: God, Bodie, what is going on? Like, Are you okay, man? Like, Jesus. I'm so warm, Mom. Good Lord. Um, okay, so babysitting, babysitting went bad. Lori's father sublet a university apartment at Northwestern for the summer. Her behavior continued to worsen. She left raw meat and couches in common areas and stuffed student boxes with garbage. When Northwestern contacted her father, he brought her back to Glenville. Now, here's the thing that kept getting me, right? So, this woman is, like, in her late 20s. She's, like, our age. Yeah. And they keep contacting her parents.
0: Yeah. So, like, obviously, like, they're – she needs help. She need, They need to stop, like, just bringing her home. They need to, like, help her. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, that's not good.
1: Yeah. Um, so, once back from Northwestern, Lori went back to babysitting, where she stole hundreds of dollars of food and continued destroying furniture. Her father would ultimately pay for some of the damages. And here's a quote from one of the articles. It said, quote, her father covering for, for her as he had been for years would pay restitution for damages. Which is a little uh, foreshadowing there. Okay. So somewhere between November 1987 and January 1988, Lori moved back to Madison, Wisconsin and lived close by to the university. This woman keeps living by
0: colleges. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs>
1: stop living near colleges. Just stop um, doing it. So she lived at a student residence and was being treated by a psychiatrist for her obsessive compulsive disorder. Her psychiatrist increased the dosage of clomipramine. I think that's what it is, clomipramine, um, that she was already on treating the OCD and added lithium carbonate to decrease mood swings. He also implemented behavioral therapy to address phobias and rituals. Unfortunately, this did little to help Lori. She was enrolled as a guest student and was able to audit classes. However, she rarely left her room. She again would leave raw meat and couch cushions, wear gloves, never touch metal, and appear naked in the hallways. Oh, no. Yeah. She also left garbage and rotting food throughout her room. Like, this woman is just rapidly getting worse.
0: Yeah, she's just declining. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's painful.
1: So Lori was obsessed with good and bad numbers, and there were also concerns that she was bulimic. Perhaps the strangest behavior was her middle-of-the-night rides in the elevator. She became known as the elevator lady as she would ride up and down all night pressing buttons at random.
0: Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. In
1: March of 88, Lori stopped seeing her psychiatrist and behavioral therapist. Not because she was released, but because she just decided to stop. Around this
0: time... Go ahead. When you're like I mean, obviously, this poor woman, like, is struggling, clearly. Isn't there, I mean, how can she just leave on her own accord? Because she's an adult. I know, but...
1: This case prompted, like, the whole, can you... How do you commit somebody against their will, and what mm. is it lawful and what is it not I see. lawful? I see. Yeah. I see. like that's I mean, the all- problem is you can't just commit her because yeah, she has free
0: will. Sure. Yeah, I mean that is definitely it's like honestly like one of my biggest fears is being committed to a mental hospital and not being, not needing to be there.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's really hard to do so nowadays. It's not like the 50s when they were like, Hey, you look funny. Go off to the sanatorium.
0: You have your period. You must be crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, okay, so she stopped seeing them. Around this time, she was also arrested for shoplifting and was accepted into the first-time offenders program, effectively avoiding jail time.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, she definitely doesn't need jail. She needs help yes
1: this was around the time that she began to plan her attack oh no she stole books about poisoning diluted arsenic and other chemicals along with clothing and a wig to disguise herself so it was sometime when she was stealing this stuff that she got caught um her psychiatrist and father both tried to persuade her to admit herself to the hospital for psychiatric help but unfortunately she didn't go a month later, one of the dorm rooms was set on fire. Again, Lori was suspected, but because there was no hard evidence, she was never charged. <clears throat> on multiple occasions, she made hang-up phone calls to her ex-in-laws, her like, in-laws, her ex-in-laws, the Dan family, as well as her former babysitting clients. In April, she again made death threats to her ex-boyfriend in Tucson. Arizona police contacted the FBI since it crossed state lines. The ex-boyfriend ultimately did not press charges out of fear of retaliation and wanted to wait until charges were filed in Illinois first, which, fair, like, I get that. Um, When the FBI contacted Madison Police on May 13th, they stated that they believed Lori may own a gun. At this point, she actually owned three.
0: Oh, my. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mm -hmm.
1: Police attempted to confiscate the guns, but her father refused to hand them over, stating she needed them as protection against her ex husband. Oh boy, oh boy. Mm-hmm. On May 14th, a student found his clothes slashed and books destroyed. And this happened to be the last day of classes at Madison. Yeah, she's at Madison now. Um, again, how Lori is she was-
0: still like attending?
1: She's, she's, 30, she's 30 years old at this point.
0: But, like, how does she have even, like, the focus to, like... She doesn't. That's the thing. I, well, I guess that's a good point. That's why she's still there. But, like, oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, her dad just keeps setting her up places. Um, okay. So, she was suspected. Um, <clears throat> Later that night, she was found in the trash room, naked and asleep, in the fetal position on top of a pile of trash. The FBI came to question her the next day about the death threats. However, she was nowhere to be found. On May 19th, Lori showed up at a former babysitter, or babysitting client's house in Glencoe. The family informed her that they were moving and did not need her services anymore. However, when Lori asked if she could take the kids to the fair the next day, the family obliged apparently unaware of Lori's mental state. So this family oh, no. clearly didn't know about anything that was going on. Um, so Lori had made Rice Krispie Treats and juice boxes poisoned with arsenic. She <gasps> mailed them to... Now I remember.
0: Right? Yep, 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 yep. That yep. actually
1: wasn't the one that did it for me. It was the ice pick and um, there's another line that I'll tell you about later.
0: Interesting, okay.
1: So she made Rice Krispie Treats and juice boxes poisoned with arsenic. She mailed them to multiple people, including ex-babysitting clients, the psychiatrist, and her ex-husband, Russell Dan. On the morning of May 20th, she dropped off poisoned snacks, and juice to acquaintances, ex-clients, a few fraternities, and Leverone Hall at Northwestern. Luckily, few drinks were actually consumed as they had been leaking and did not taste good. <laughs> And also too, I kind of like I don't want to like laugh at the people that did, but who the fuck is like? Oh, look! Someone dropped off juice boxes. Juice boxes. So rich! I can buy at the grocery store
0: in like bulk. Are you kidding me? Come on! I would definitely be like if if I just found juice boxes delivered to me. You better believe I'd be like I'd be like, what are these? That were leaking. Why do I have these? I didn't order these who sent these to me There's
1: I mean there were there were some notes attached to some of them but like I don't know but luckily um even the people who did drink it the arsenic was so diluted it wouldn't have made anyone sick um because oh, remember she God. stole diluted arsenic from a lab um in Madison so after the deliveries um so after she had dropped all the stuff off She arrived at her client's house to pick up the two children. She gave the kids poisoned milk, which they threw out because it didn't taste good, which good on you, kiddos. (laughs) Seriously. I imagine them in the backseat, like, fuck this and throw it out the window. Totally. They'd be like, nasty. Yeah. So instead of going to the fair, obviously, Lori drove to, I think it's Ravina or Raviana, Raviana school, where she believed her ex-sister-in-law's children would be. She set a fire using gas in a plastic can. It was discovered by students shortly after being set and quickly put out by a teacher, so nobody was hurt. She then drove to a nearby daycare that a former niece attended for the same ex-sister-in-law and tried to do the same thing. However, she was stopped by a daycare worker and left. She then brought the children back home and lured them into the basement where their mother was doing laundry. As Lori left, the basement stairs were set on fire, which somewhat trapped the children and the mom in the basement, however they were able to escape unharmed. That's the only reason why I chuckled when I said that, because they were fine. (laughs) But, like, she's like, oh, I gotta go, and the stairs are on fire.
0: (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah. So
1: Lori left the house and headed to Hubbard Woods Elementary School, armed with three handguns. She walked into a second grade classroom and then left. She then found a boy in the hallway, pushed him into the bathroom and shot him with her Beretta pistol. Um, when she tried to use her Smith and Wesson to shoot, so I think this one was a 357. When she tried to use her Smith and Wesson to shoot two other boys, it jammed. So she threw the gun in the trash along with the spare ammunition for it. The boys managed to escape from the bathroom and raise the alarm. Lori then went back to the second grade classroom she was in before. At this time, the students were working on a bicycle safety test. That's the line that I was like, oh, my God, yeah. Because I remember, I think it was Karen talking about how that boy was, like, so excited that he was going to be able to ride his bike to school after this. Do you kind of remember that?
0: I do, unfortunately.
1: She forced all the students into the corner of the room, and the teacher took charge and was able to disarm Lori's Beretta. Lori then took out another Smith and Lesson and managed to shoot five children. She killed eight year old Nick Corwin and wounded two other girls and boys before fleeing. Yeah. Which, good for that teacher.
0: Like, I that know. is
1: scary as shit to try and disarm. Oh, oh my God. Good for that teacher.
0: I can't even, like, and it's just horrible that that teacher even needed to be put in that situation like it's just
1: and the other ugh. thing too that gets me honestly because we have to do the lockdown drills and we have to do the alice training and like the whole nine this happened in 1987 and we're still doing this shit in 2020
0: yep 100 percent yeah and i could the, i could go off on a tangent about the, that. the hor- most horrible statistic i have seen is that there hasn't been a school shooting in the last however many months, and it's literally because there's no school. Yeah, no kidding. It's, like, it's just...
1: Yeah. I know.
0: Anyway. Before I, I totally freak out.
1: Oh, tr- oh, trust me. I would be <sighs> waving that flag right on that rampage with uh, you. Okay. Um, so, la, la 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 She killed that poor boy. Okay, as she was fleeing... This is also good. It's, like, funny, but it's not funny at the same time. She was stopped because of a funeral procession. <laughs> and you know what it feels like? Like you feel bad, and you're like, "Oh, it's a funeral procession. I can't get upset." But then there's like 800 cars, and you're like, yes. "Jesus Christ, come yes. on!" Like, yes, this just so, shows you
0: how disorganized of uh, like a person she. I mean, not that it's we all that don't get was. caught. I mean, think odd, yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's like it's really I'm. Glad because can you imagine how many people would have died if not? Oh. oh my god, I know. So, um, as she was fleeing, she was stopped by a funeral procession. She drove backwards and ended up on a dead end street. There's also another report that says she crashed. So I don't know which one. Either hmm. way, she abandoned her car, removed her blood-stained shorts, tying a blue garbage bag around her waist. She just at random walked through the woods to the Andrew home where she entered and was greeted by Mrs. Andrew and her 21-year-old son. She claimed that she had been raped and shot her rapist in the struggle. (sighs) So believing her, Mrs. Andrew helped by giving Lori her daughter's pants to wear and tried to convince her to go to police, and she acted in self-defense. So I think this is, like, downplayed a little bit, but, like, later when I was reading, it kind of sounds like she... It wasn't like she had the gun and it was like, you know, she was just like, in her waist pocket or something. It kind of sounds like she was holding the gun the entire time, which makes a little bit more sense. So the son, Philip was able to pick up one of her guns and pocket it as she was changing. So he took one of the guns away from her. So now she only has one left. Thank God. So then they called Lori's mom at the suggestion of the Andrews. This part, I'm just like, what the fuck? So she told her mom she'd done something terrible, and the police were involved. Philip got on the phone and told her mother about the supposed rape. When Philip suggested that Mrs. Wasserman should come and get Lori, she stated she could not go because she didn't have a car.
0: Oh my God. You figure it out. You figure it out. You figure it out.
1: Um, Pound the pavement, honey. Like, let's fucking go. Are you kidding?
0: Yep, yep. You call a friend, you call a cab, you call a... You walk, you, you take a bus, you do whatever you gotta do. <laughs> you call the police to tell you... Yeah. You 100% call the police. My
1: daughter is really, like, sick and needs help and she has a gun and this is scary. These poor people. Like, she's also like, mm, sorry, she's your... Can she live with you now? She's your problem now. God. So... He Sometime plans. later, Mr. Andrew came home, and the family tried to persuade Lori to give up her second gun. So it, it said that they were arguing with her, so it kind of sounds like she was, like, holding a gun up. When she refused, they called her mother again. And Mr. Andrew asked her mother to try and persuade her daughter to give up the gun. Mr. Andrew told Lori that he would leave if she did not put down the gun. He left the house. However, Lori forced Philip to stay with her. <sighs> At the same time, Mrs. Andrew was able to leave the house to alert police. So it kind of sounds like she was able to slip out. Around noon, police arrived at the house. This spooked Lori, prompting her to shoot Philip in the chest. <sighs> he survived as he was able to escape out the back door and was rescued by police and EMTs. Um, police brought both Lori's parents and Russell Dan... This, I kind of feel bad for this man. He's probably like, what the fuck? Like, this woman tried to axe murder me, but good on him for going. Um, So they brought them to the Andrews' home that they had surrounded. Lori was now in an upstairs bedroom. Around 7 p.m., her father tried to communicate with her through a bullhorn as the assault team entered the house. The team found her body in the bedroom and determined she had died from a gunshot wound through the mouth. Lori was 30 years old.
0: Oh, my God. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: After her, so this is the part that I'm just like, you guys suck. After her death, the Wassermans were difficult with police. They only allowed one search of her room on the night of the attack, after which they cleaned and removed any potential evidence. What? Yep. They refused to be interviewed and concealed her psychiatric records until the court ordered they be turned over. Some of the records indicated that Lori showed symptoms of mental illness until she was just five years old. Now, listen, there are some people who completely blame them for why she was the way that she was. And I don't think that's totally fair to completely blame them. But sure, you're hiding stuff. You're covering for her. You're part of the issue.
0: Absolutely. Like, it's 100% like this could have been, you know, at least started as a nature situation here. But there is definitely an element of nurture that was happening. Like was a huge and, element. Like, and the fact that, like, like you said, like, they just kept covering for her, which is not helping anyone, including no. their daughter. No. And they, they – they clearly –
1: they're the type of people that are all about show, and you know, absolutely. I wonder if that's why he was constantly getting places at colleges because he's like, "Oh, look, no, she's still away at college, my daughter. She's studying again." You know what I mean?
0: Like, absolutely, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I'm sure there was absolutely an element of like God keeping forbid, up the appearances.
1: Exactly, because God forbid you have a child with mental illness and we just get it addressed so that she can go on to live a happy and healthy life. No, instead we do this shit. Okay, so. Um, there was also, this was, this was sad. So, um, they found two articles, one about a guy, what exactly was it? I think it was one about a guy who, um, like just killed people at random. Hmm. And then there was another one about a guy who had obsessive compulsive disorder and he tried to, um, kill himself, um, by shooting himself through the mouth. And he didn't die; he lived, but he claimed that that cured him of his obsessive compulsive disorder. And so, Mm -hmm. I I think that's why they wonder if that's why she shot herself in that specific manner. Interesting. Which interesting? She did a lot of shit, and it's not excused. It's definitely not. But that piece of evidence that it's kind of like, wow, like, this woman really wanted to be okay, and just, she went about it in all the wrong ways, and this was her responsibility, and again, not excusing this.
0: No, but, but yeah, I mean, she, she didn't really get the help that she needed. Somewhere,
1: somewhere deep down, she wanted to be rid of it. She didn't go about it in the right way. She wasn't responsible with it, but she obviously wanted to be, like, rid of it. Yeah. So, or at least that's my opinion. Okay. Um, So it's not exactly clear what prompted these attacks. However, people have some theories. An autopsy showed that she had lithium, which is a manic depressant, and anaphronil, which is an antidepressant in her system. Both drugs are sometimes believed to cause violence. Another theory is that she targeted people who had disappointed her. Sounds like it. She was also investigated for the Chicago Tylenol murders, but there was no connection found. Interesting. After the rampage, victims, students, and parents received extensive support to cope with the attacks. Good, many Thank parents, yeah, many parents and members of the community devoted many years to advocating for gun control. Does that remind you of anything?
0: Like every single Sandy time Hook? it happens,
1: Sandy Hook is exactly what it reminds me of.
0: Um, it's just, I mean, how did she have three guns?
1: And they were all obtained legally.
0: Exactly. That's the mm-hmm. that's all the- obtained legally. Yep.
1: <sighs> yep. Yep, yep.
0: Yep, yep. 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 So
1: um they devoted their years to advocating for gun control. Philip Andrew gave interviews about gun control from his hospital bed and would later go on to become a lawyer and FBI agent. Get it. Was, I know. He was also active in local and state gun control organizations as the director of the Illinois Council Against Handgun Violence.
0: For him. Good but for him for, for, like, you. Turning that, like, horrible situation into a positive and, like, using it for justice. I love that. Yep.
1: So Nick Corwin's family, the, the only kid that was murdered, so there were only two deaths after this rampage, and that was Lori and Nick Corwin. hmm So his family sued the Wassermans for negligence that resulted in their son's murder. Yeah the lawsuit was settled for 1 million dollars in 1991 the settlement implies no admission of responsibility or wrongdoing so that means like they didn't have to take responsibility for anything Ugh. fucking shocker again not I like can't. i think that they're 100% responsible because i don't but
0: it but just, at some point it, you need to take responsibility
1: it's it's just like they never made their daughter take responsibility for anything so why would they
0: take responsibility for anything you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, hundred um, percent. Like they should. Like if you have a kid, if you have a kid, that like, I I understand it's probably in, in terribly, terribly hard. Mm-hmm, but you mm-hmm. to 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 you know to recognize this in your own child and then have them get help. But you know what's worse? Then yeah. this happens because yeah. you didn't do that. Right.
1: And I think moreover, it's like, okay, she was an adult. It's not like they can force her to do anything, but they enabled her. Absolutely, they did. So, um, Norman Wasserman has only given one statement um, five days after Lori's rampage. The statement is criticized for not offering an apology or sense of responsibility. And it is, quote... Mrs. Wasserman and I reach out to all of the families in their suffering. We suffer with you. Our prayer is that time will help alleviate the pain.
0: That's just—it's like kind of a slap in the face. Like at that point, just don't say anything. Yeah, I know. And uh, that is the case of
1: Lori Dan. Ugh. I know.
0: How miserable. I know. I don't even have words for that. It's like so. It's like all of the things that make me so angry, wrapped it into is, one story. It is. heavy. Yeah, it's really a heavy. heavy. Oh, uh, so well. What do I you have, got? What do you got? I, for have a, I have a few light things. Oh, good. Um, I have a long light thing. Long, longer light. Well, I guess it's not that long. Actually, it's pretty short. So. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I thought it was really Actually, long. It's not. Just kidding. So that obviously is horrible that that happened in Glencoe. Here's some of the, like, you know, less crimey crime things that happen in Glencoe that are, um you know, what they can focus their time on because they don't have a lot of crime. Mm-hmm. So, um... North Shore Co- County Day is once again initi- initiating a five hundred dollar reward for information that can lead to the recovery of a hundred and sixty eight pound bronze bell, given to a school in nineteen sixty two and stolen in nineteen seventy eight. Oh my God! Yeah. They're still looking. They are still looking. This was published. This article was published last year, uh, in twenty nineteen. The bell. The bell was a gift from the Otto and Dorothy Schilling family. In the summer of 1962, the Schilling family took a trip to Europe. While in Germany, they stopped at her uncle's bell foundry in Heidelberg. She was so taken with the beautiful bells that she, she thought that North Shore County Day should have one of its own. Her father, Otto, uh, in, inspired by his family's history as bellmakers, designed and selected the specific ringtones for the school bell he commissioned to be cast by his younger brother, Frederick. Um, the bell was delivered, uh, December 31st, 1962. Um, we all have been waiting anxiously for the arrival of our new bell. And it was a moment of joy for those who were here when it arrived the day before New Year's. Um, that was written by the headmaster. (laughs) Um, Barbara, uh, Schilling, um, remembers ringing it for the first time after it had been hung outside the school's auditorium in the spring of her senior year the bell was beautiful Um, beginning the following school year the bell used to signal the beginning of classes each day to call students to the daily assembly and for special events the bell rang for the last time during the early hours of november 28 1978 um, Headmaster Douglas McDonald, who lived in uh wavering house at the northwest cam- corner of campus, heard it ring once and fell back to sleep. In the morning, the bell was gone. Despite reporting the theft um, and offering a reward of $500 for its return, the bell was never recovered. So if you do have any information about the whereabouts of the bell, uh, you can email them at communication at org. otherwise you can just giggle along at this bell
1: we're not over uh,
0: this yet nope that it's been it's been many years but we're still not over it um so anyway those are some of the things that that take up the majority of people's many many decades in glencoe good lord yes
1: I'm trying yes. to think if there's anything that could be stolen out of dairy that I would be like,
0: oh my god. I for shame, I cannot believe. Oh what it could be the um what what is what is dairy known for? The uh first potato? Potato. Something? But that's
1: not still around. <laughs> that was because eaten a someone long time stole ago. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you should be angry. Can
1: you imagine how nasty that thing would be?
0: It'd be a nasty potato. potatoes go bad surprisingly quick, especially if it's humid.
1: I know, it's upsetting when it, like, grows little tentacles and you're like, damn it. Know. It's technically asexual reproduction,
0: but you know. So interesting. So anyway, that's my little light light little bit to end our heavy episode. I appreciate that. I appreciate I, that I light lo- because... I had lots of options depending on how heavy the case the was.
1: Oh, good good because at first when I first looked at it on like wiki I did like a quick scan and I'm like oh and only one person dies it's not bad it's probably like you know a dumb wimp and then I read more and I was like oh shit
0: and you real. were like I'm so deep in this now and I'm, I'm like can we change intense. the town <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's always a rough thing but I know well, that's a rough we, one
1: we hope you enjoyed Illinois
0: yes we'll be moving on to some other state. We don't know and, where yet. Because we never do. But eventually we will. <laughs> <laughs> and we, thank you for listening. Please rate us. With subscribe. good ratings. With good ratings. We'd, we'd be love it. We, it'd be great. Yeah. And if you <laughs> could subscribe, we'd have a new episode every, uh, every Monday. Yep. So yep. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, see, we'll see you next time, guys. you next time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. See you next time.